Good morning and welcome to Neon and Beyond. We have a very special guest this morning and so excited to speak with Liz Ortenberger, CEO of SafeNest. Hello, hello, Liz. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me this morning. Absolutely. I know this is a very busy month for you. This is a very significant month. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and you have several events planned and a lot going on. But I was hoping, Liz, that maybe you could give our listeners some background on SafeNest, some of the services you provide, and how your outreach program works. Absolutely, yes. So SafeNest has been serving the Las Vegas Valley and Clark County since 1977 as a domestic and sexual violence provider. Uh, and what we do is we work not only with survivors of domestic violence, but we also work with people who are perpetrating violence and children that are affected by the epidemic. Oh. So we're, we kind of think ourselves in, in, in classic Vegas terms, we think of ourselves as a domestic violence sexual violence concierge. We're in every part of the chain in which people are suffering inside this epidemic. So we work uh, first in the prevention space, which is where we do a lot of work with youth. You know, 76% of youth who are growing up inside a household where there's violence are going to repeat that cycle either as an abuser or as a survivor. True story. Um, so we, yeah, so we have these uh, programs in that preventative space that are really designed to help youth before they perpetrate the violence, right? And that's where the real, like, when people ask me, how do we bring the rates of domestic and sexual violence down here in Clark County? The answer is it's with our youth. Absolutely. And it's with having youth programs, yeah. Oh, wow. That is really actually a great start to all of it. Absolutely. Um, so you definitely um, are trying to uh, curb that at the, at, you know, at the, at the root. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we have great relationships with the harbor and with um, other places, our juvenile justice system. We can be working with kids that are as young as 9, 10 years old that are starting to display those signs of violence. And this is a great opportunity for, the, for us to use a framework. And we use an evidence-based framework in that space. We don't make this up as we go along. Uh, we use an evidence-based program um, around building hope in kids, and this has been proven through the University of Oklahoma to really do this critical work. Uh, you know, I say it's 76% of those kids without intervention, right? And we want to be the intervention. And, you know, things that people can do to help in that space is if you are with the school district or you work with the school district, this is a place where we need the school district to open up and say, yes, we really need to have some anti-violence curriculum um, and understanding of kids that have been traumatized by violence in their homes. Sure. How do we start to work with those kids inside the school district? Because that's where the answers lay. And I will say there was some great legislation that passed this last session, AB 245, which was put out by Assemblywoman Torres, which is all about creating a framework of safety and, and resources for kids that are experiencing violence, not in a child protective services sense where their parents might be being violent to them, but if they've engaged in a violent relationship, you know, our teens don't know how to navigate that sometimes, and there are very few resources in town. So we're looking forward to that legislation becoming um, activated and in place and working with both the school district and also the university system to ensure that our young people have the resources they need. Fantastic. Yeah. That's, so that's great. The, the 
other unique thing that we do in the prevention space is we work with abusers, people that are perpetrating the violence. And people say, well, that's odd that you're working with them in the prevention bucket. But here's what we know is that abusers will have three to seven victims in their lifetime. Oh, my gosh. And so if we can work with us with someone who's perpetrating violence, when they're doing it inside that initial relationship, we can, you know, help them not repeat that cycle with three to seven survivors. And what I tell people all the time is I can help survivors. SafeNest is designed, as are other agencies in town, designed to provide that life-saving shelter, crisis support, and other resources. But if I'm not working with the person who's perpetrating the violence, I, how am I not creating a vacancy for a new survivor to be created? Exactly. Or if that survivor returns to that relationship, which we know many of our survivors, that's the choice that they're making, um, either because that's they want to be with this person because they love them or because that's the realities of their family construct and the financials, financial reality for them, sure. that they're needing to go back to that abusive partner. How do we make that safe and how do we make the violence stop? And that all comes from working with that with the abusive partner. So that space is uh, dynamic, and it's both voluntary and court-ordered. Um, but that, you know, of all the spaces we work in, the youth and working with, with the people that are perpetrating the violence are where the root answers are for actually lowering the levels of the, this epidemic in town. Right, Liz, and that's, I, I wanted to ask you, when you have a, a victim or an abuser, mm-hmm. and they come from a situation where this has been a lifelong pattern for them. How long and how successful is counseling and therapy and, and all the programs that you offer? Is, is it successful for every individual? So great question. So there's a couple of subjective terms in there, right? So what is success? So for us, we measure success by the violence stopping. And the violence is either stopping inside the dynamics of what was an abusive relationship or the violence is stopping because one survivor has exited, the survivor has exited that relationship. And so, you know, that, of course, is going to be different. If an, if an abuse, if somebody perpetrating violence is ready to take responsibility for their actions, if we think of it in the same way that we think of substance abuse, If you are ready to take responsibility for the behavior that is creating pain in your life and the people of those around you, and you're willing to take responsibility, admit the violence happened, admit that you can understand how you feel that violence bubbling up in you, and then submit to some of the exercises and behavior changes that you need to make, we're on a pathway to something that could be very successful. Right. Baked in there, though, is, you know, most of our abusers are, are childhood victims of abuse, right? Right. And so we also have to tackle that. And the phrase for that in our industry is polyvictimization. And we have folks that have been victimized in many different ways. Um, and then when we add on that layers of poverty and racial oppression and inequity and all the things that we all talk about, we see a very complicated set of different abuses, not only from an abusive partner, but abuse from the system, abuse from society, you know, parental abuse, all those kinds of things. But when we can start to, in counseling, work through how that abuse is creating, a, uh, is holding you back from being your true 
self and being able to achieve what's possible for you and how that's playing on your self-worth. For some survivors and, and folks that have, are perpetrating violence, that's going to be years. For some, it's going to be, okay, I'm done. I'm done suffering in this space. I'm going to make these changes, and I am going to make a commitment. And I will tell you, we had a 19-year-old um, abuser in one of our programs, and he um, had shared with us that he gets very, very angry with his 4-year-old, right? So here's a 19-year-old, grew up in an abusive household, has a 4-year-old child, so had that child when he was 15. Oh. Does not have the coping mechanisms on how to deal with a 4-year-old who they can be very trying. Any of us that have had kids in that age know, like, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Correct. <laughs> but through our counseling program, he, he came in one week and he said, I had a success. I, um, I got really angry with my 4-year-old. I put him in his room. Made, you know, his room is a safe place. I put his, him in his room. I closed the door, and for five minutes I went outside and I paced around my backyard. And I just paced. And I just clenched my fists, and then I relaxed, and I breathed. Fantastic. That is a tremendous success. That right? is so, a huge success. I'm so happy to hear that. Those are the kinds of that. things we work on. Yeah. You know, yeah. and for this individual, did he voluntarily come to you? Was this uh, court-ordered uh, therapy or counseling? Uh, I'm just curious. I, I, I commend anybody who realizes that they have... Uh, an issue that they have some things they need to work through and they reach out and they seek that help. Yep. So he was uh, most likely, I don't know a hundred percent, but I'm going to say most likely in our court mandated program. And, you know, it's hard for people um, who are perpetrating violence to know that this resource is available for them. So part of my message today is if if you are creating an environment in your home where there is fear towards you, you are perpetrating that that environment of fear, um, we have confidential, anonymous support free, and it's free of charge, support for you to be able to work through that. That's fantastic. Um, That's important. Yeah, that is where this starts and ends. Okay. Right? If we can work with folks in that space, phenomenal, right? That's that is a win. And that just is. picking up the phone and calling us is a is an admission that you're ready to make life changes to make your family a peaceful, happy unit. That's a huge um, step. Yep. Huge yep. step. That is uh probably, I mean, the number one step right there recognizing uh, the issue and reaching out. Um, and while we have the opportunity, and we'll, we'll say it as many times, what is that phone number? 702-646-4981. And you can call or text that, or you can go to safenet.org and open up a confidential chat with us. That's fantastic. This is a, uh, your, your facility, your organization is a valuable asset to our community, and I know that you reach out to all parts of our valley. Uh, do Does SafeNest also extend their services out further than just Clark County? We work with other agencies in the valley, uh, or sorry, in the state um, as they need it, or if there's a survivor in a part of the state that we can't, that the uh, they can't find resources for, they will often call us. So we deploy as needed resources out to other parts of the state, but our focus is Clark County. Okay, and aside from the counseling and the educational uh, aspects, what other services does SafeNest provide? Yeah, absolutely. So we provide, uh, I think, what a lot of people think of when they think of the domestic violence space. 
We provide a crisis hotline 24 hours. We have access to all languages. So anyone with a language barrier, please do not allow that to be a barrier to calling us. Um, and then we provide a shelter not only on our main residential campus, which is at a confidential location, but we expand out into apartments and suites and um, different uh, housing locations as needed. And we also have a, a small campus in Mesquite, you know, as we make sure we're serving the entire uh, Clark County. And then in addition to that, we have, um, we have advocates at the DA's office. We have phenomenal partnership with Steve Wolfson and his team at the DA's office. We have an advocate at Las Vegas Municipal Court. And then we partner with a lot of agencies in town um, so that they can have access to our shelter program. So if, uh, um, for example, the center, phenomenal partner, if they have a survivor who called them and let them know they're struggling inside of a domestic or sexual violence space, the center is a partner with us. They can get that survivor into our shelter program without that survivor having to retell their story to our hotline. And we work with, we have upwards of, I think we're at 40 partners in that space in the Valley. So we work on being very permeable. We also have a phenomenal relationship with um, Las Vegas Metro Police in Fantastic. which we go out on domestic violence 911 calls that are our most lethal calls. So if there's a strangulation, assault with a deadly weapon, or if we're being requested on scene. And last year we were out on over 6,000 calls with Metro, um, wow. which is, you know, I tell people this stat all the time. Only 4% of survivors, uh, sorry, 4% of folks that are murdered inside their domestic violence partnership will reach out organically to an agency like SafeNest in the 12 months before they're murdered. Oh, gosh. But 86% will have an interaction with law enforcement. So this partnership with Metro is so critical because we're on scene then helping do a TPO. We can do TPOs on scene. We can get you housing. Oftentimes uh, survivors need a cell phone or other services. We can provide those all on scene uh, to, in that partnership with Metro. So that's also another sort of phenomenal partnership. And that's why I love working in Clark County and in Las Vegas is all of us, you know, our state is resource restricted in, in so many ways, but that requires this partnership to build out this safety net. And I, I love that my staff are always opening to partnering and that agencies like, you know, I tell my partner agencies across the country about this relationship that we have with Metro, and they can't believe it, you know. And that's really, you know, um, now Governor Lombardo started that great work, and, and under Sheriff um, Walsh has been a phenomenal partner, as has Sheriff McMahill. Um, and then, and then um, the folks that work in that space are just so dedicated to wanting to have answers for survivors, but also we are all trying to work on how do we create solutions before there's a justice system interaction, right? How do we do this work before there's an arrest? Well, it seems and to me... And that's also important. Right. And it seems to me that you've provided so many ways and so many uh, avenues for people to reach out um, and try to, you know, have either, you know, and try to stop the cycle. Yep. And um, you've made that very evident that there are just so many ways to reach you and to get the help that you need. As a society, as a community, I think uh, a lot of us know an individual and we just kind of brush it off to, well, that's just kind of what they do. They'll go back to that person. They'll continue the cycle. There's nothing I can do. That's just who they are. And yep. this is what they've always done. How can we 
uh, help to stop a situation like that in our, you know, in our own acquaintances, our own, you know, uh, circle? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting, right? I, I When I go out and speak to groups, I say, you know, how many of you out there would help a domestic or sexual violence survivor find safety? And, of course, everybody's hand goes up, right? Mm-hmm. I, then I ask the second question, which is, how many of you would have a, tr- a, a tough conversation with a close friend or family member about their abuse? It would tendency, be tough. Right? And yes. almost no hands go up. But the reality is, is that a brother a respected uncle, a respected friend, even a mom, have a way better impact early in that violence than I, than, than I have, than any messaging I can do have. And what does that look like, right? What are we looking for? We're looking for the, the abuser that gaslights, so doesn't allow for another opinion to be heard, belittles their partner in front of others or constantly in conversation. You know, if you're going out and they're constantly belittling their partner in conversations with you. And here's what that conversation looks like. So first of all, understand, if you're, if you are in that role as a trusted partner, trusted advisor to that person or trusted friend, this is going to be a tough conversation. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. But what it looks like is going out, have a drink, go out to dinner, don't do it in front of the the partner or in front of any other friends and family, make it a private conversation and say, I am worried about you and I'm worried about your relationship. And, And these are the things that I'm hearing and this is why I'm concerned, right? Because those are signs that you are in an unhealthy relationship for you, but also potentially for your partner. Right, and the person delivering this conversation or initiating this conversation can expect some a little bit of denial i'm sure oh, for sure and for sure but how they, would what they can yeah what they can do that's so important is say look i love you and i'm here to help and support you but i'm not going to condone this behavior when i don't want to hear it i don't want to hear you belittling if you want to come for me for help and we want to seek some resources but i don't want to hear the derogatory name calling and i don't want to see this kind of behavior when i'm around here is the critical importance of that. What we don't correct in society, we condone. And I cannot tell you how many abusers we work with who go, I never knew this was bad because I dressed her down at the family picnic and no one said anything to me, so I figured everybody was doing it. Oh, my God. Right? <laughs> yeah. So the minute we just, and it doesn't have to be a hard sell, it just has to be, these are my boundaries and I'm not comfortable with this behavior. I'm here to help you, but I don't want to be a I don't want to be an outlet for this ugliness. Okay. Um, and that's that is so very powerful. And I will tell you, moms, you also have power in this space when your kids are little. If you were in an abusive relationship that your son or daughter witnessed, own it. Own it in the way that you're like, I am so sorry that you had to live through that, and that was not right, and I don't want that for you. That behavior was not right, either perpetrated by me or perpetrated by the, if it was dad or whomever that person was. Understand that relationship was not okay. Even if you're still in it, that period on our relationship was not okay. What you witnessed was not okay. Because we've got to telegraph to young people that even though they've seen it, it is not healthy. Otherwise, how do they know? Good they advice. don't know. Young people don't know they shouldn't expect the same thing that their mom maybe went through or their dad went through. So it's all about opening up this, this, this communication. 
if you have someone in your life who is in a violent relationship as a survivor, here's what I tell people all the time. Do not tell that person what to do. Even though your intention is different, what we hear all the time is, well, I told her to leave. I told her to get out of there. You know, I did all these things. When you're telling her or him, right, because we know survivors can be any gender, um, you are acting in the exact same way as the perpetrator. Mm -hmm. Even though your intentions are different, your actions are the same. Here's what you say. I love you and I care about you. Something seems to not be right here. If you ever need me, I am here just use, let's have a safe word. Let's have the word broccoli. If you say broccoli twice in a sentence, I know you need me or you need me to do something for you. I trust your own radar and your own experience, but I am here if you need it. And that just, that puts the survivor in the empowerment seat, which is what we want. We want to empower that survivor to take the course of action that's right for them when it's right for them. And we cannot dictate that. And so, those are the ways people can really dig in and help in this space. And Safe Nest has plenty of suggestions uh, to help those in our community who would like to help people that they know who are in this cycle. We're speaking with Liz Ortenberger, CEO of Safe Nest. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and I encourage anybody who is in a situation. Uh, to reach out to Safe Nest, there are many avenues. And again, a 24-hour hotline. The number is 702-646-4981. And you can call or text that number, or you can open up a private chat with us at safenest.org. I love it. That is fantastic. And October being Domestic Violence Awareness Month, you have a lot of events to bring awareness to this this situation uh, that are coming up one of which is the fourth annual Run for Hope 5K and One Mile Fun Walk. This is coming up Sunday, October 22nd. Liz, tell me about this wonderful event. Yeah, absolutely. So this is such a celebration of survival and survivors and just being out in a beautiful fall morning in Las Vegas. All the proceeds from this go to support our pet program. So 67% of survivors inside abusive relationships that have pets will not leave if they have to leave that pet behind. True story. So about four years ago, we cycled up a pet program at our shelter. So we house dogs, cats, reptiles occasionally. Um, I'm still waiting for a mini horse to show up. That hasn't happened yet, but maybe someday. But we create this environment for the entire family, and we know that our fur babies are part of that unit. Sure. And we um, we allow that. And, you know, people, sometimes folks who maybe haven't lived inside of an abusive relationship go, oh, come on, just leave the pet behind. But here's what I'll tell you is oftentimes mom is bringing that pet along because the pet has been threatened with abuse, right, by the abuser. Sure, that And the happens. other reason is a lot of times when we have kiddos, um, those kids, we're packing up, they're packing up that house and getting out of there in the middle of the night when they find a window of safety to flee. Because the most dangerous time to be murdered is in the time when you're getting ready to leave or in the three to 12 months after you've left. So imagine you're packing up your kids' stuff, usually in trash bags, as fast as you can, and these kids feel like they're losing everything, and then you have to leave the beloved family pet behind. That's really tough on the kids and the whole family unit. So 
we wanted to be inclusive of that, and, and that's what the proceeds go for. And so the consequence of that on, at this great event that we have is that your pets are welcome. Bring your dogs. Dogs are, are, are invited to be part of the run and walk, and just enjoy the day and know that you are giving proceeds just to allow people to heal with dignity and intact with their entire family unit. That's wonderful. How can people sign up for the, uh, the, the fun walk? Yeah, so you can go to safenest.org, and it pops right up when you come to our website. You can't miss it. Um, and if you can't make it, we have a couple of other ways that you can give as well. There, you know, as a nonprofit CEO, I'm always telling people cash is king. So if you're in a space where you can make a monetary donation, you can hit our donate button on the website and make a monetary donation. If you have secondhand goods, we also use those for our survivors first, and then we monetize that as a very important revenue line item for our agency. Great. So you can go to safenest.org, and you can click, uh, when you click Donate Now, you can click to have us actually come to your house. We will pick them up from your driveway. You don't have to drive anywhere or do anything. You just bag them up and let us know, and we come and grab them. Um, and then also if people are interested in volunteering, we have lots of ways to give back to this important work that we do. Some of it's one-off, some of it's long-term. Um, and we have board positions open as well. So if folks out there are interested in giving back at the leadership or board governance level, um, all those opportunities can be found on our website. Liz, you provide it all. That it makes it, uh, this makes it so much more uh, comfortable and uh, less uh, anxious for a family to make the, this important decision to leave an abusive situation and live a healthier life. Uh, kudos to you. Kudos to your group. Kudos to everyone who has donated and volunteered and has reached out to uh, help. It's amazing. I love it. And um, you also uh, have a website that probably provides a list of all the things and all of these uh, uh, services that are needed. Yes, everything you can, everything for the agency can be found at safenest.org. And I will say, if you are a plus-size lady, please consider donating uh, your used clothing to us. We really struggle to find enough, particularly undergarments, business wear, and things for our plus-size ladies. We have a lot of very generous, like, size 4 petite women in Vegas, sure. which I really, really appreciate. Um, and we work with a lot of clients who could use things in, in the larger sizes. So anybody that can donate in that space, it is, it is greatly appreciated. Fantastic. Well, I look forward to speaking with you again. And thank you for everything that you and your group do. Your organization is absolutely so just invaluable to our community. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thank you for, cover, for, for uh, hosting us today. Absolutely.